0: All right, let's pray. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Uh, Lord, our, our missionary of the week that we are focusing on this week is uh, are the Manning family in, uh, in Arizona. We pray for them and their work with uh, Indian Bible College. I just uh, pray that you continue to use them and guide them, Lord, as they pour into the Bible uh, students who are um, Native Americans and, and seeking to reach their uh, various people across North America. I thank you for uh, the ministry there, and we ask that um, you continue to to lead and guide them. And Father, today as we uh, continue through 1 John, so much of this letter is about assurance of our relationship with you, um, reminding us and reminding us and reminding us uh, that you love us. And this isn't negotiable, that you love us, not because of what we have done but because of your character and your nature. And so, Father, I pray for each one here today that as we look at these verses, you would help us um, to come into a deeper understanding of how much you actually love us. And we pray, Father, that um, it wouldn't be so much that we come to an understanding of your love, but that we would actually be gripped by your love, that we would be transformed by your love, and that it would flow through us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we are deeply grateful for this time that we have with each other, and it's in Christ's good name I pray, amen. Okay, so we're sort of like in the third week. This perfect love section begins in 1 John verse 4, or chapter, chapter 4, verse 7, and goes down to really chapter 5, verse 2. Um, we're picking up in verse 17 today, but I thought I would read, starting in verse 12, And we read in verse twelve No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Going into chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for your word. We ask that you would lead us now in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. So as we go through first John, so much of this letter is about like assurance and that if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you can be certain of your relationship with God. Um, over the years of, of being a Christian, I've often heard people talk about, uh, like kind of analyzing the culture and the world around us and saying, oh, there are some people who come to Christ and they receive the gospel sort of like fire insurance, that it's just, um, like they get their fire insurance and they're good to go. They go about the rest of their lives. And so when they, the day they die, they have fire insurance, i.e., meaning they're not going to go to hell and burn, right? That's like the, so they have their fire insurance. Well, in, like, the last two years, my, like, understanding of this phrase about fire insurance has changed. Um, I, I think the whole understanding of fire insurance is how a lot of Christians actually live their life, or at least maybe for those of us in Valley Center or California. You know, three weeks ago, the church got the dreaded letter from the insurance company. Not to say they love us, not to say that they're thankful for us for all these years, but, like, it's not you, it's us. <laughs> Or it's not us. It's you. You're in a fire zone. And so we're going to have to let you go. And it was like, oh, man. So like the last three weeks, like scrambling, like calling Rick and figuring all this stuff. And through, you know, the the church is now covered. We found somebody through like a weird sort of thing. But uh, fire insurance, I used to think all my life was like, oh, it's just guaranteed. But now it's like, I've never been so excited to get, like, an insurance bill. Like, come on, baby. Like, I'm, like, three months away from my house. It's like, please, insurance company, send me a letter. Like, send me the bill. Send me the bill, baby. And you, like, open it. It's like, I don't, well, I don't know what mine's going to be. I'm just waiting. You know, we'll see. But I think this is how a lot of Christians live their lives with God. Day to day, month by month, am I still good with God. Does he still love me? Is he going to renew my notice? Am I still secure with him? And I think that this is a terrible way to live. If you don't know how you are with God day to day, living with like, the re, like fire insurance for property, that's a terrible feeling. Living that way for your eternal life is so much worse. Like it's miserable. And I think that that's what religion sort of like promotes in large part, not Christianity, but religion in large part says you do these things and then you should be good with God. So long as your good outweighs the bad or so long as you do these things. But the thing is, is you never actually know if you've done enough. And so John is, is writing this this church, these individuals, trying to assure them that the work of Jesus on the cross was sufficient. His death was once and for all, and you can be certain that you have assurance before God because of what Jesus has done if you have placed your faith in him. And so he, last week, we, or not last week, last week for me was two weeks ago. John preached last week, but this last little section, verses thirteen through sixteen, by way of review, we read, By this we know experiential, that we that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. So the first part he says that the triunity of God comes. You've believed in God, God has given of himself his spirit to you, that the Spirit indwells you at conversion. Verse 14, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John speaks on behalf of the apostles. They say, we saw him, we touched, with him, touched him, we walked with him, we saw his death, burial, and then we saw his resurrection. We can affirm to you that the things about the Messiah dying are true. We are firsthand witnesses of these things. And so throughout this letter, he says, we have seen and we testify that the work that Jesus did is true and reliable. He says in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So some of the key points from two weeks ago that we know, this is certainty, that you can have assurance and knowledge experiencing that God has given all of himself to you, everything. The the bigger issue is so often we leave stuff back. We don't often respond with, with surrendering our lives to him, giving him full access to everything that we are. But the Bible makes it clear that God has offered everything that he has to you, that he is available through Christ. And as we come to him through faith, we have this relationship that those four verses, 13 through 16, we see three times that through faith in Christ, God is in us and we are in God. This speaks of intimacy with God, closeness, relationship, that we can be certain, we can know that through Jesus, we have access and then John thinks of people like me, uh, the the what ifers of the world. The but ah, but did he remember that one thing that I did way back when? Like, or are you sure? Are you confident? Like, I don't know. And so then John continues to bring assurance, starting in verse seventeen. He says, "By this, that this is God's love. That's the whole context: the love of God. By this, love is perfected." or completed with us. And so a couple of weeks ago, I would mentioned uh, the love of God, that this, sort of this, this perfecting of the love of God is sort of like a light switch. This is where we get in trouble. Uh, when Gunnar starts talking electricity, because I am not an electrician, I don't play one on TV, I, like, I don't mess with it. But there's like electricity coming to a certain point, and then you have a light switch. When the light switch is off, the switch is broken. And then when you flip it up, the, the electricity continues to flow to wherever you want it to go, to the lights, to the Christmas tree, to wherever. And so this illustration is sort of like the love of God has come to the believer's heart. And then we have this opportunity to have our switch flipped on or flipped off. And he's pleading with us to flip your switch on so that the love of God can continue through you to those around you. And as we allow God's love to flow into us and then out of us, this love of God is perfected or completed with us so that we may have confidence or assurance in the day of judgment. And so this is like a, this is a real day that the Bible talks about that every person, every human being one day at their death will stand before the God who created them and they're going to give an account. Mainly, what did you do with Jesus? Jesus died for the sins of the world, and so you've either received this forgiveness through faith or you've re- you have rejected Christ. And so he's speaking to believers in this passage that if you want the ultimate assurance is that when you stand before a God in Christ, you can have assurance. Back in 1 John 2.28, John wrote, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him at shame at his coming. Uh, I read one author this week that said, uh, In this world you might not know or believe that you're a sinner, but when you stand before God, you'll have no question about (laughs) your sin. And John tells us over and over again, if you're in Christ... You can stand before God and you can have confidence, you can have assurance. In your own works? No. In Jesus' work. That what he did on the cross was imputed to your account. His righteousness has become yours. Your sin has been credited to his account. He's taken the punishment. He's absorbed it in full. And we're told that he was our propitiation. That word means satisf- satisfaction or to be satisfied. That God's wrath was satisfied in the work of Christ. So the point of this first part in verse 17 is this is pretty ultimate assurance. Like if you're kind of day to day not like you can know that in Christ that when you stand before God your creator on your judgment day you can be certain that you can stand there in co- confidence based on the work of Christ. That's a pretty good deal if you ask me. He continues Okay, so by this love is perfected with us because as he is, so also are we in this world. So this is a kind of a confusing phrase or there's a lot of question marks. There's debate amongst commentators. Who's the, because as he is, who is the he that he's referring to? And if you like, normally you can sort of back up and figure out who it's referring to. And in this case, It's a little bit trickier to figure it out. So the vast majority of people believe that where this backs up to or the context that it's speaking of is Jesus. And so then it says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And and the reality is, this isn't going to compute in our minds because we know we are not on equal ground with Jesus. Like, Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. Jesus is perfect. We are not. I am sinful. I am fallen. I miss the mark day after day after day. And that's where it's so easy for my mind to run. But the Bible tells me over and over and over again that Jesus was my substitute, that he stood in my place, and he absorbed the wrath that was due me. And because he has done that and I have responded through faith, I am told that his action God now sees me through the lens of Christ. And this is overwhelming. Uh, John MacArthur says this on this passage. This stunning statement means the Father treats the saints, that's you and that's me if you've responded to Christ, the same way he does his son, Jesus Christ. God clothes believers with the righteousness of Christ and He grants the Son's perfect love and obedience. Someday believers will stand before God's throne as confidently as their Lord and Savior does. When they reach that final accounting, they will see the fulfillment of 1 John 3.2. We believers know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He again. Again, if the previous phrase was ultimate assurance that when you die or when God calls you home and you're standing before your Creator, that in Christ you can be confident before Him because of what Jesus did before you, He continues even more to bring assurance that you can be assured that in Christ as He is, you are. This isn't fair. This makes no sense by our accounting. We plead for fairness, but that's not what we want. We should plead for mercy and grace. And that's what this is, that there was an exchange here. Suddenly now I'm told in this world that through my faith in Christ, when God looks at Gunnar, this sinner who's done all kinds of things, that my thoughts are so wrong so often at of the time that I respond in the right way, that when he sees me, he sees Jesus, his holiness, his righteousness this is overwhelming. And as this truth grips you, it transforms you. It's life-altering. He goes on to say in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's, like, I got a bunch of scribbles on my page here because it's, like, there's, like, there's so much to say here. Um, Like, I wish that all of us had a father in this earth, parents in this earth that were perfect, that loved us well, loved us correctly. Even if you are raised in a good, godly, loving home, your parents are still imperfect, Like they still make mistakes, they still mess up. Um, And then for some of us, we were raised in like less than ideal situations growing up. And so when I come to God and I'm told that he's my father, the early years of my life, my dad was absent. For most of my adult years, my dad wasn't really the greatest guy It's a beautiful thing now with his Alzheimer's. Like, normally Alzheimer's makes somebody really mean and nasty. But normally that's because they've been holding those feelings in their whole life. And so in my dad's case, what my dad has been holding in all his life is, like, love, affection, kindness, gentleness, sweetness. And so it's like, who is this guy? Like, over the last six years, caring for my dad, it's been a huge blessing because it's, like, this gentle, wonderful guy. But my mom was Horrific. Like my biological mom at 11 years old, I had to testify against her in court for her abuse. I should continue. I, for her abuse towards the children. And so, so much of my like growing up and like my like, the, my, I don't say my DNA, but my wiring because of my background, when I look at God is love and I see his forgiveness, like ah yeah, yeah. But if I screw up, he's gonna be mad. Like I'm gonna get the belt, or I'm gonna get kicked out of the house, or I'm gonna do what like like my the my my reflex when I mess up concerning God isn't like, oh, he's love and he's gonna just like he's like that's not how I respond. And I think a lot of us don't respond that way. But John through the Spirit of God, and what God wants us to understand is God is different than our earthly parents. Even your good godly parents, God is so much better than them. Amen? This is what he wants us to know. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. And so what he's saying to you is that Jesus's death on the cross was sufficient. Not just for your past sins, your past, present, and future sins. For those of us who are Christians in this day and age, when Jesus was at the cross, all of our sins were future, right? Like for us, we have conversion, past, present, future, but all of our sins, all of our inadequacies, that was all future for Jesus. Jesus knew what he would pay for, for us, which was yet to come. And so there's no fear in love. But perfect or completed love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Our punishment in Christ was dealt with on the cross. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And this is something that my prayer for all of us is that you would come to the place where you understand how you've been forgiven. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west and don't, don't be a smart aleck like me and go, well, the earth goes around so eventually they meet. Like we're talking horizontal, like they never intersect. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. God isn't, Jesus didn't come to bring fear into your life. He came to bring love and assurance and hope and knowing that what he has done was complete. And this is, this is liberating. There's freedom there. This is life transforming. This this isn't something that when you experience, you go, well, then I can go run hog wild into sin. And if you think, oh, Jesus' grace is sufficient, so I can continue to go live however I want and do whatever I want, then I would question whether you've actually like understood what the gospel is. Because this isn't something that you want to take advantage of. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're never going to mess up or sin going forward after conversion But as a believer, one who's received this mercy and grace, when I fall short, having the Spirit of God, the conviction of the Spirit is horrific, right? There's something I'll raise my hand for. Like, I, you know, I love Dolores. She raises her hand. She does stuff. When she first came, I saw her out of the corner of my eye raising her hand. I said, I'm sorry. I, I saw you raise your hand. Do you have a question? She's like, Oh no, I was just raised charismatic. I was just agreeing with you. Like, so now she's like, now I'm agreeing with myself as I'm like, like I love it, you know? (laughs) Um, he wants us to know that in Christ, there's not fear. There's not punishment. And this isn't like a contradiction, a contradiction of Proverbs 1 7 and all through Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like, There is, like, the fear of God is that we should be understanding who he is in relationship to who we are. And as we put ourselves in right position to God, that brings humility. That brings us to repentance. That brings us to the place where we recognize that Jesus died for us, the sacrifice that was made, and we shouldn't be playing games with God. And that doesn't mean that, like, this fear of, like punishment, there's a distinction. This week is, like, it's funny. Anna had told me that she told our kids this week that she tried to hammer this point home, and I don't, like, I was thinking about it this week. But, But looking at how God loves me, how God loves me, did I say love? I hope I said love. Sometimes different words come out. Um Like I, as a parent, knowing my childhood, I want nothing more than my kids to know that like whatever they do, like I'm going to love them and I'm going to be there for them. And God is telling us that he's going to renew your policy. It's like indefinitely renewed in the blood of Christ. It's not based on you making sure that the shrubs are cleared from your house or like all the things that you think that you have to do to maintain some facade before God, the, God know you're a sinner. You have sinned, you have fallen short before God. God knows that. He sent his son, we celebrate Christmas, the, the, the incarnation of Christ, so that Jesus would come, live the perfect life, and be the perfect sacrifice for us so that we could receive forgiveness. Achan says, when God's love has reached its, its intended goal and accomplished its perfect work, fear before God is driven out and the dread of punishment is vanquished. This is one of the joys and blessings of knowing God as Father. And my prayer is that you do know God in this way, that you can experience true joy, true blessing through Jesus for what he has done for you. He continues in verse 19. We love God because he first loved us. Our love that we have as Christians flows out of what we have received. He has loved us. We flip the switch. We allow his love to flow through us so that the circuit is completed. His love was initiated. It wasn't out of response to that you did something good or you started uh, getting sober, you started... or you stopped cussing or you stopped dipping or you stopped like fill in the blank of like whatever it is that you think that you're doing wrong, that you have to stop or things that you think you have to do in order for God to love you. That's not how God works. God created you. He loves you and he loves you and he initiated the relationship with you. And then we respond to that. It's a huge difference in, in worldview it's a, and how you see the world if you think you have to live your life by doing good in order to appease god to make him okay with you that's crushing but if you understand that god initiated his love for you and you know that through christ you have assurance and peace and hope then how you live your life you can do all of this stuff because you're you're responding to what he has done not trying to earn or get something that you don't have. Verse 20, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is just so practical. God loves you. God says your assignment is to love others. You love you love him, now love others and tangible ways there's like christmas is such a wonderful opportunity to have an excuse to do good for others because like doing good for others like it can be real awkward um like we send a christmas gift to somebody like we we have one of our spanish teachers that we really like in spain like i've really come to like this she's like become a friend of our our whole family and it's like hey what's your address i'm not a creeper like i live here i'm not gonna like but we'd like to send you a gift and she's like, okay. So we sent a gift and she's like blown away. And it's like, she's like, you didn't have to do that. I'm like, I know, but it's Christmas. And we just, we've been, you know, like, like you can use Christmas as an excuse to make it so much easier to tangibly bless somebody else. Now you should do it all year long, but we're we're particularly in the season right now where it's really easy. And if you bring a gift to help bless these families, these kids, like, I I assure you, That when these kids and these families receive a gift and we say, hey, we're doing, like, we've done this. They don't know who you are. You don't know who they are, but it's being done out of love of Christ for you to wish you a Merry Christmas. You can have a profound impact in people coming to, like, understand the goodness of God. Verse 21. And this commandment we have also from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And so, like, what does God want from you? He's loved you. What does he want? You've responded in faith. He wants you to love him and to love others. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's really simple. And, like, in thought, to live it out can be a little bit more difficult. But to prioritize God in your life day by day, to look for opportunities that you can be an advocate for him or, like, to, uh, an ambassador for him is probably the right word, as an ambassador to. Uh, see opportunities that you can practically love on other people, that's your mission from God. Love him, love others. Okay, so what do we do with this? I like what Swindoll said. He says, The love of God is somehow made complete in us when we express that love toward one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. When this love grows to maturity in our lives and we love one another more and more, several things happen. Uh, the first thing that we have is confidence before God. Like we see this in this passage. If you've received the love of God, you gain confidence before him. You're free uh, from fear and punishment on judgment day. Um, you can live your life liberated, understanding that Jesus's work on the cross was sufficient, that you no longer are held guilty for your sin, past, present, future that has been placed on the body of Christ. And then as we experience this love, as it transforms us, we live it out, and our love for other people grows day by day. It's pretty simple. So with that, my prayer is that you have experienced the love of Christ. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this, this season of Christmas it is such a fun season. Um, there are so many things connected to Christmas that are just culturally are very fun and pleasing. But I thank you, Lord, first and foremost, for what this season represents, that we as, as a culture in theory are pausing uh, to think about the eternal Jesus who stepped out of heaven to become a man, that he humbled himself and he lived this life perfectly as an example but ultimately uh, to be the sacrifice that was worthy, to be in exchange for us, that he would stand there as a substitute on our behalf and that he would absorb the wrath of God in full. And so, Father, I pray for people who are here who are not necessarily certain if they have received Christ. I pray that you would help them to connect the dots in their mind, that they would respond to you in belief. And Father, we thank you that in that moment of belief, we are told that we are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption, that we have assurance before you. Father, I pray that you would help each of us that knows you, that we would truly, as best as we can, this side of heaven, understand your love for us. Many of us have been wronged by our earthly parents, And we suffer wounds and scars and things that hinder our ability to truly understand who you are as our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, I pray that your Spirit would heal us, that you would help us uh, to do away with the past, and that we would look forward to Christ, as Paul writes about in Philippians, that we would understand your love, that we would encounter it experientially, and that we would allow your love to flow through us in everything that we do. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.